Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. All right, no Cody on this one. I have a suggestion, guys. If you want to hit, hit me. Sug- suggestion. What if, instead of recording an episode on this film, we all just sat around in almost complete silence and once every... 13 minutes, one of us just kind of sighed heavily, you know, and that in a way would sum up the film in a, just, just, just like, like, just <sighs> like that, can I, you can know, I, can, like, for about for, 58 for, minutes for and then 13, we just killed the episode. For my 13 minute mark, can I make it like a, uh, <sighs> just like in the, just in the background, sure. just like, just a, Jesus, fuck Christ, you know? <laughs> As silent as possible. It's, I think that's exactly how our, like, if you stripped out the movie audio of a watch-along podcast for uh-huh. this movie, I think that's what this <laughs> oh, was yeah. on. Like, Dude, it's just like a, intermittent. Like a mystery what science the theater 3000. Exactly, except it's all of us just being like, fuck, dudes. The, silu- the, the silhouettes of the robots just had, like, their hand, their head in their hands, you know what I mean? <laughs> Every once in a while, just like a faint sob, you know? Faint yeah. sobbing. That's what is faint usually uh, fair on Try Love. It's a literal roundtable podcast about movies we see or maybe movie, people we meet at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Find, find uh, the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Uh, I'm Jason Daphnis. Um, is it predestined that I won't podcast? Uh, so to go against what is predestined, one must podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Nice. I had this planned. I, I feel like our cold open kind of took the wind out of my sails, but I was just going to say, I'm Harry Mackin, and I'm just psyched to uh, talk about the feel-good film of the fall, folks. <laughs> just <laughs> can't, can't wait. You can find me on Twitter at Parishtake. Uh, my name's Aaron, and I used to dream of having a wife who loved numbers. Um, you can find me. I guess I'm technically uh, I'm I've been unbanned on Twitter. Uh, because Have you really? The moral the moral arc of the universe bent toward bends towards justice, what but I'm not I, using it. I'm not using it. Him. I, I put in a so here's here's the here's the if we want a fucking Aaron's Twitter update. Uh, yes, we I put do. In, I, so I put in a bunch of requ- like complaint requests like after I got banned, and then. Two minutes after I put one in, it'd come back like, fuck you, fuck yeah. your ass. That's like, what happened to me, too. <laughs> Don't you dare fucking. And then I was like, okay, whatever. I guess I'm not getting. And so I just like put in one randomly like three days ago. And then I think like over the weekend, it was actually. So like Sunday or something. And then Tuesday, they were like, oh, yeah, you uh, you you got banned on accident because you got like a bunch of people like spam requested, reported your account, which I assume was because of the 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 coffee shop tweet about the police using the bathrooms, probably mm-hmm. just like some right wing forum. They were like, Hey, fucking report this guy. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm back. Uh, uh, here's the thing though. I, I was happier being banned. <laughs> and so now it's like, do I just like, cause now it's like, it's there. So I can look at previously. It was like, there was a week when it really sucked. And then after that, I didn't notice it. And I didn't have the urge to like, see if oh, I could, like, so, check so this, sh- this showed you exactly how addicted you are to it was like it took a week for the withdrawal symptoms to wear off completely it it took oh, about I mean, a week the first week sucked the first yeah, week was like yeah. well I'm my not, friends are trying to chat with me oh like, I, i'm not trying to put you on blast but in the discord you were also like guys i don't know how to get news <laughs> like i don't know where i'm gonna <laughs> get li- my news <laughs> I literally don't, you know, yeah. as like a is a good old lefty. What am I supposed to subscribe hey, yeah, to? Yeah, no, the, you're right. Failing New York Times. It's you know? true. I, do you remember uh, Aaron and I took a Japanese class together, um, learning how to speak Japanese? And our our Japanese instructor, who would always put us in, well, particularly me on blast, but Aaron a little bit uh, as well. She at one point asked us where we got our news, and she was like, "So, like, where do you guys get your news? Do you list? Do you like do the New York Times?" And I was like, "No, New York Times bad. It's corrupt. It's a." 
fucking right wing talking points laundered into. Uh, <laughs> and and then she was like, "Well, what about the Washington Post?" And she was like, "I was like, no, even fucking worse. Bezos even owns that shit. It's Democracy even worse. Democracy yeah, it's, dead, yeah. Politico <laughs> even always been worse. Always been terrible." She's like, "So so, what do you do?" And I'm like, "Um." Twitter. <laughs> I, I hang out on a street you, corner you and a guy named Jimmy the, the Shiner tracks. comes up to me and I, <laughs> yeah. I ask him for the latest uh, gossip. I, I have, <laughs> listen, I have clandestine networks of uh, spies and counter um, sort of like Intel people that deliver the news to me via carrier pigeon and smoke he, signal. He, and he just finished yes. watching the Americans, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't get the news. I make the news. Do you understand? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, right. I, am I, the news. I am the news, baby, wherever I go. Uh, the real That's guy. The, headline. Who's the, the, the real headline here. Uh, Cody's unable to join us, but you can find him on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. And I believe the same on blue sky though. Don't quote me on that. Uh, you can check out this movie as part of the uh, nightmarish nineties. I'll take umbrage with uh, somebody get John on the horn because it, uh, this movie is actually 88. Spoiler alert, 88. Yeah. Maybe the funniest possible movie to tack on to like a nineties horror. That's like fucking scream and Blyer witch and, and shit. And that is just this movie. <laughs> like yeah. imagine, imagine going to this being like, wow, movie marathon guys, we're going to see all the nineties horror. And then you just walk out like, we're oh going to watch God. Candyman and Dracula and <laughs> yeah. the Vanish. Uh, sorry, I broke I yeah. broke the only rule. We, we fractured with uh, one from our midst, but check it out uh, at trilon.org if you're listening to this weeks or months or years in advance uh, or uh, following this episode. Uh, watch this movie wherever it's available. Uh, right now it's available on the Criterion channel. Go to trilon.org for whatever they're playing now. Maybe you're listening to this at another spooky season. Check out what they're playing. They've almost got certainly got some great stuff playing. Check it out at trilon.org. Check um, out Aaron's Grossman's summary uh, right after I play this uh, wonderfully funny bit that everybody loves and uh, keep getting personal requests for by uh by mail yes indeed folks everybody laughed yeah everybody it's ki- uh, it kills. the vanishing 1988 film again released in 1991 in the u.s uh just to maybe help out john a little bit for his uh uh 1990s why are you why are you why are you uh covering for, why are you um i'm backing him up look somebody's gotta somebody's gotta support the try you know this podcast did we did we agree on the uh pronunciation of the dutch title by the way is it sporlus i'm not gonna say it he's not going to say it i will it's the vanishing the the way that i found out that's all i care about the way that i found out i guess you're you're correct for being a 90s movie sporlos is the best that i could find good uh but again uh fake language directed by george slizer uh, last name is really? called S L U I Z E R. I was about ready. I believe you. Like uh, I think he <laughs> was. He's a <laughs> he's a French born Dutchman, and I was about ready to pull out like a Sluzier, you know, situation. Like I just, just I just love that you one. you pronounced that like the uh, the fucking like Slicer. baseball commentator. It's like uh, by George Slizer. <laughs> well, I'm saying Doug Nut. Yeah, I have his name written, and then in in you know uh, uh, in brackets, Slizer, just to help me out. Uh, based off of Tim Crabbe's Crabby Crabbe's novella, The Golden Egg. Really, is uh, a minefield out here. I it's dude. I'm about to get to the fucking other names. Just you, you wait. All right. Uh, film follows a young Dutch couple, Rex and Saskia, uh, as they travel through France on a road trip vacation. They stop at a rest area, uh, which has like a gas station kind of attached to it. And Saskia mysteriously disappears after going into the gas station in order to buy drinks. Uh, Rex searches for her for years with no information uh, on her whereabouts, except several taunting letters from the kidnapper, uh, kind of instructing Rex to uh, meet him outside of a cafe in France. Uh, those letters kind of never go anywhere. They're, they never actually meet. Um, eventually, the kidnapper, um, a family man named Raymond, uh, with a seemingly normal, uh, scare quotes, kind of quaint life uh, with a family, kids, all that, um, offers to meet Rex, and he offers Rex the chance to learn what happened to his lost wife. Rex is played by Gene Bervoetz. Bear votes. I'm Bear not going to stop you. Just I'm keep sorry going. to the Dutch people. Uh, Saskia played by uh, Johanna Terstege. Yes, indeed, folks. Uh, thank you. Raymond played by Bernard Pierre Donadieu. Uh, and then Gwen, uh, Gwen Eckhouse plays uh, Leineke, uh, who is Rex's girlfriend uh, three years after Saskia's disappearance. Uh, the film was uh, kind of a, a, a good sized hit at the time of its release. Uh, it immediately gained kind of a bunch of international uh kind of recognition um it would not be 
released in the U.S., as previously mentioned, until 1991. Um, in the last few years, a 2014 uh, Criterion release kind of helped cement its status even further. Uh, the film is, of course, primarily known for its kind of very kind of disturbing and shocking ending. Um, also worth noting, there was an American remake uh, in, I believe, 1993. Forgot to write that down, uh, but it was bad. Uh, it uh, the ending. I don't know if you guys have looked up the ending of the American no, remake. No, but but I saw that it was uh, happy ending. Was ugh, wasn't it also directed by uh, Slazer? Yes, it was also directed by George Slazer. Slazer. Um, hmm. Yes, uh, I think Jeff Jeff Bridges. I think in the starring role. But yeah, happy ending. Where I thought, I thought it was weird that they called it uh, Kill Bill Part him. Two. Um, <laughs> that, that was a strange uh, title, I, I guess. Just not it's, a lot in common, but. The, the the Tarantino impulse of like literally having that in his movie, but then also like she gets out of it by punching. Yeah, but really what if she's so fucking badass? Yeah, dude. <laughs> but it's like you, yeah, you it gotta works, say it? yeah, it's cool. She does yeah. the Bruce Lee like five inch punch. It's sick. It's it rocks. Maybe, maybe Rex should have maybe should have started martial arts. Yeah, in Asia for for several years yeah. with uh, what was yeah. the the name of her master? Pai Mei is that the guy's name? The yeah, like, can't. it's been a while long, since I watched uh, Kill Bill. Yeah, he's like a stock Chinese like. Does the Tori Hanzo remember character. that part? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Anyway, different. Jason, go, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Ahead, I've never seen any of the Kill Bill movies. Thank you. Uh, what I, I yeah I know I it, it's it's my defining trait. I don't know what else I go by. Terry, uh, can you just go watch the Kill Bill movies with him like after this? Like just, what are yeah, you going on? That sounds great. I'm Literally just watch, go watch Kill Bill. I'm watching five take movies out later tonight. Watch Kill Bill. That's incredible. Jesus. That does sound great. Yeah. Oh, is it the horror? Uh, it is, yeah. The, Ooh, the very wow. same night. We're dating ourselves. Folks, listen next week for a check-in. Or no, two weeks. Jason, just Sometime please uh, later. change Thank here. you. Yeah. I will say, first deadly mistake, he decided to say, I promise my girlfriend will never be abandoned by me. That's an actual line that the main character Rex utters in this movie, and it's big like... I will never wake up next to a horse head in my bed energy. I, this, this uh, downtown LA bus will never be commandeered by terrorists and forced to run at 55 miles an hour uh, territory. It's, it's, it's big. Like he will never X. And then immediately he acts. This ship is unsinkable. This ship is it's big yes. Titanic. This ship is unsinkable energy. Uh, that's, that's my gag start, but I really do like, I had a weird experience with this movie. This was my first time watching it. Um, I made effort not to know much about it beyond just the letterboxd synopsis and, you know, basics like year of release. But I had like an almost giddy reaction to parts of this movie. A uh, little, little bit of sicko reaction, like particularly in the middle. I, re- I kept remembering where, and it's like the, maybe the wrong deployment of it, but a very like similar feeling. How I think, Aaron, you brought up once upon a time, maybe in reference to Les Samurai, a movie we didn't actually cover on the podcast, but that we made discussion of, just seeing a guy do his job really, really, really well and like seeing all the planning that goes into it. For some reason, I had I that I may have been same... talking about Inception, to be quite honest. I hope I hope <laughs> you weren't. God, I hope you weren't. I think I might have been. Yucky. I'm but not in any even case, joking. In any case, yeah. you know that feeling of uh, uh, somebody who is either professional or polishing their skills and you recognize like the whole... I'm going to make this is for all the Pikmin fans on the podcast, uh, the the Dandori of it all, the just the intense planning that goes into the whole process. Yeah, I really have crossed a certain Rubicon with that. Thank you. Harry is the one who's gone off camera. No Pikmin stands in this chat um, and seeing uh, Raymond, the uh, spoiler alert, eventual uh, eventually revealed uh, kidnapper murderer of, of the main character's uh, love interest of seeing that happen and just seeing his iteration and seeing that paired up along, not as much like equal screen time as uh, Rex's efforts to find his girlfriend wife. Is it ever made clear? But like a significant amount of screen time is dedicated to that character. He is actually billed above uh, Rex uh, as, as the main character of the movie, at least on IMDb and letterbox. I found a certain, like, I I don't want to, I said giddiness because that's all that comes to mind. It's like, almost an appreciation for how much of the quote unquote sick craft that we see play out. And the, just like the subversion of that uh, sort of like a uh, uh, um, uh, facade that he puts on, you know, family, family man, like Aaron was saying um, it, it, spoilers throughout, but I found it like a very intensely until the very ending, which is very, it just takes the, all the wind out of your sail and it just like is a really dire dour ending. Uh, I was feeling like a real, like the joy of a mystery uh, half revealed to me throughout the movie. Uh, I don't know if that's a common reaction or if that is like a 
measure of quality so much as it is just like I had a, a, a pleasant experience with the like mechanics of the movie. Uh, but that's that's where I was coming from when I gave it. I haven't given it a star rating, but I'd probably give it somewhere high in the rating scale. Um, I'll pass the mic off to somebody with some actual thoughts next. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll say that I, I think you're kind of touching on what I find to be kind of the most interesting part of the film that I think I think kind of makes the film work in a way. I was I was a little surprised to to kind of going around and, and checking out like more kind of contemporary reviews of the film uh, and people talking about kind of the, the the first watch and and kind of I think there are a lot of people that this film was like very impactful. Maybe they saw it on like television or maybe they somehow saw it in theaters on, on original release or something like that. But there are a lot of people that like saw this movie back in the day and and it had like a very large impact. And I think that um, over the years, I think that there, there's been maybe a bit of a narrative that like you know, the beginning and ending of this movie is like this kind of flawless, like masterpiece, but like maybe in the middle, like sags a little bit. Um, and I think that like, I disagree. Yeah, I disagree Heavily, quite a bit. And yeah. I think that like, you're touching on, I think, like, kind of the interesting part of this movie where like, we do get to watch like Raymond, you know, as this character, like, kind of plot this entire thing out. And the movie is like, very matter of a fact, and like, and, and Frank and how it like portrays the situation to you, even kind of like good humored in a way. Mm -hmm. um, like, like Raymond is clearly not like a, the kind of guy. I'd He's no criminal master <laughs> for, for obvious reasons, but like, yes, it, it, he is, he is like, you know, he is fallible. He, he makes like a lot of mistakes and he like slowly works out how to like do this horrific act. Um, and that process is, at times kind of lighthearted and humorous in a way that I think like kind of makes the whole rest of the film work in a weird way. Like I don't it's think also darkly compelling, right? Oh, yes. interesting. Go on. Well, I, I don't think the ending works without that bit, right? I yeah. don't think the ending works without us seeing Rex and Raymond, like have like kind of a quiet moment on some like calisthenics, like bars set up at a rest stop somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, and so I was I was kind of surprised by the that that negative reaction about the middle, even though I think like I get it. But I think like that that stuff kind of makes the film work. Yeah, for in sure. A, in a weird way. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. The fucking the second act when this becomes a Vim Vendors movie, they're just like uh, two buds out on the road, like like cutting it up and like getting along. It was so it was great. I was like, I cannot believe that the movie I ended up watching was a road trip movie about the, a dude and the, the guy who killed his fiance God, or his like, girlfriend or whatever. Like, the, like part, the part where he's, uh, Ray is explaining like how he was thwarted by a guy, by a girl's boyfriend because he was, uh, like he called him out for be, not being able to move the trailer behind him. And then it cuts immediately from that story where you're feeling like he's the antagonist, like that boyfriend is the antagonist because he's stopping the guy we're seeing on screen from doing what he wants to do. Immediately it cuts to Rex back in the car saying, what an asshole. And it's like, yeah. wait, you're calling the guy who's going to thwart the guy who killed your girlfriend an asshole? Right. Where well, did this like, movie end up? <laughs> right. Like Raymond packs sandwiches, right? Like he pulls over yeah. so that they can relieve themselves. They're hanging out. They like talking in parks. They, um, yeah, that, no, that was great. I think, um, I'm not as positive about this movie. I really also enjoyed the experience of watching it. I think it fell off for me a little bit because it, it occurs to me that it, it like, I think the most impressive thing about this movie is also something that I kind of think detracts from the overall experience, which is that I think it's mostly a clever trick <laughs> rather than a movie. I like, I, I kind of like the construction, this like this thematic anti-mystery, right? Where like the entire point of the movie sort of thematically is um, this, it's like a retelling of the stranger essentially, right? Existence precedes essence where like Raymond sort of arbitrarily decides he's going to do the most horrible thing possible just to, sh to find out if he's capable of it. And the characters are constantly framing things in those terms where like, um, you know, like uh, Rex is like, is it possible for me to live my life as if it's an homage to this person I lost? Right. And like to, um, sort of forego all other relationships and live suspended in this time right after my uh, girlfriend was abducted and taken from me? Is it possible for me to live that life for the rest of my life? Um, is it possible for me to uh, to want to know the answers to these questions worse than it, it than I want to live, right? And meanwhile, Raymond, in the sort of like dark foil sense, is like, well, I committed this heroic action, even though I don't feel like I'm a hero. It would it be possible for me to commit an evil act and be a villain? 
Um, and the answer to all of those questions is yes, because you can just do things, right? Because existence precedes essence. Like it, it turns out that that your actions are what define you. And so like there is this there is this hilarious sort of like um, almost like uh, it's it's like a an object lesson, right? Where where it's just sort of like we the the viewer are being trained to want to know the answer to the mystery. Meanwhile, the movie has showed us has telegraphed the entire mystery front to front to back. Um, we are given absolutely no reason to doubt that what we're seeing is not the truth. That Raymond was not the killer, just because like we never explicitly see him. Um, kidnap the girlfriend until the end of the movie like it's pretty obvious right like as soon as it happens we cut to this dude who has like put together this murder estate and is practicing with chloroform and is like trying to figure out the best way to kidnap and murder a woman and then like like Raymond right like I, I think the movie is ultimately trying to like get us to sympathize with uh, Rex excuse me in how badly he wants to know the truth he's almost like well like that catharsis that that final answer that will release me from this isolation and this um, terror of unknowing that I've lived my whole life in. It's worth it even if I die, right? And then to completely pull the rug out from under you and be like, yeah, well, exactly what you thought happened, happened. It's not a mystery. It's not exciting. And now it's happening to you, right? And it's just like, there you go. Um, I, I, ooh. I, ooh, man. Ooh, uh, man. You don't, I would happily that's let you not working in, yeah. for you? You're not digging. Oh, no, I, I hate to butt in, but like, no, I, I think it's good. I, I think it's uh, it's clear, right? I just think that like, I, I as in the 24 hours intervening between when I watched this movie, it occurred to me that like I don't actually really think that Rex is an interesting character. I think Raymond is like a real sort of like uh like two dimensional sort of like stand in, right? He literally calls himself a sociopath at one point. I just like I think that the mechanics of this movie are far more interesting than ultimately what it has on its mind, uh, if that makes sense. Um and that's not to say, I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed watching it. I think that like mechanically and thematically, um, it does everything right. Like I think that the the coldness of this movie, the like deep I think you called it a matter of factness, Jason, which I really like and agree with. But like, there is nothing horrific. There's nothing even editorializing necessarily about this film's gaze, right? It's just sort of like presenting everything as if it's almost a documentary, right? Uh, it's a very quiet movie at different points. Uh, one could argue it should be quieter uh, because I definitely agree with Cody when he pointed out that like the fucking soundtrack to this movie is so bad. It's like this MIDI saxophone that plays throughout the entire... Yeah. I really I sucks, dude. It. Yeah, oh, I it sucks so it. bad. Uh, Jason uh, and I are the defenders here. I, I mean, you can dig it and it sucks. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> contribute. Um, but, you know, like the, the washed out colors, the the countryside, the the light and the um the just the despair that goes into every frame of this thing it's such a good looking movie and and i feel like all of those different points work so well toward that ultimate construction right that that rug pull that the movie gets you with i just i don't know how well i respond to a movie that all culminates in sort of a single shocking moment of instruction so much as i rather would would be i would be more interested in like you know, Raymond like shouting that he is, uh, or sorry, Rex shouting that he's Rex when he's in the coffin at the end of the movie. It's like, what does that mean, right? Like, what, like, what is, uh, like, I want to get inside his head a little bit more. And I, I guess I wish I would have had more of that. I like that we have stumbled upon a conversation topic of like the, the coldness. I think both of you have mentioned, like, again, matter of factness. Uh, there's like, I think that compare excuse me juxtaposed with what it's showing and sort of who we're building as as two main characters rex and ray um that makes it all like that horrible again i say giddy but like it's horribly funny like uh sort of you're you're watching the thing being built you're watching like the nascency of a sociopath's first like dreadfully evil act um i also think like there's like it's it's almost like it's documenting uh like you said or or uh like i i do take on excuse me not on bridge but like i do uh sort of like have counter to uh counter whatever feelings against the idea that it doesn't editorialize in like almost any way like there's there's still an element of style here i think uh it just like i think to your point about it being mechanically very uh, interesting and tricky I think that is like the substance of the movie for me. And I think that's where we get to deploy th or excuse me, uh, the director and, and crew get to deploy things like um, 
usually like these two characters are seen face to face if they're in the same scene um and particularly toward the end there's this moment where uh ray is sort of he's running around the yard where his where he last saw his girlfriend where his where their uh coins are buried near the eighth tree and all that kind of stuff and rex just sits calmly in his car as the rain pours down and we see the them looking at each other through the windshield it's all like they, they can't see each other clearly and then suddenly swoop the um uh the wipers come by and they see each other clearly again and that's when Rex realizes I can't let this go. I'm going to go with him because now he's entreating me to follow him one final step, drink this coffee and uh, get knocked out and, and follow what, whatever happened to my girlfriend. Um, I think that is like, if there's style and editor editorialization, it's in those moments, like that forward, the motivation of the character rather than like the story, I guess there's another moment I was thinking of where um, Linicky, I think the, his second girlfriend, the one that he picks up with after, uh, after uh, his first girlfriend goes missing. Um, where he's showing her like a tape of his uh, TV appearance where he's explaining how, you know, I've put out a bounty. Uh, Saskia, thank you, Harry, um, is his first girlfriend. He's he's on TV explaining like his story and how five times he's been bait and switched by some guy who claims to have knowledge of the disappearance of his girlfriend. Uh, and in that moment, you're seeing uh, like a very blurred out face like just staring at the screen with almost a grin on his face of rex watching the tv excuse me uh yeah rex watching the tv and uh linicky is watching him like pointed toward us watching his face just kind of like looking saddened looking resolved to leave and all that stuff i think like in those moments it is somewhat more editorial and in a certain way like didactic through its style but i think it is like the moments of uh, uh, like objectivity, supposedly, like of documenting what uh, Ray has is doing and how he's uh, sort of building to this act uh, in you know flashbacks and sort of how he's justifying it and his self explanations and his counter as a family man and as a hero, all that kind of stuff. I think it's those moments that the movie really does live in. Uh, I think they're the best parts of the movie. I think it is. Uh, it like is clearly much more interesting. I would really like to talk about the ending before we get done with the episode because I find it. I found the ending kind of. I didn't love the ending particularly, uh, not just because it's <laughs> abominable, but because like I don't think it was in the best interest of like here you were saying, Harry. Uh, like if the mechanics and the theme were going to work together, I don't think that the ending is like where it should have gone. That's outside. That's me editorializing on a thing. Um, but I, I just find that like that tone when a consistently and appropriately applied throughout this movie is like where I was feeling most, oh yeah, I'm on board. This is a really interesting piece, whether like you said, Harry, that it thematically carries that through, or if it's just a nice trick sleight of hand to get you to see two men in like maybe metaphorically or metaphysically similar conditions, you know, at the precipice of something and taking a small jump toward it being, you know, the obsession of finding his girlfriend or the obsession of killing somebody uh, and like getting you to empathize more with the guy who killed somebody than with the guy who lost his girlfriend. I think like if that is all that the movie is, if it, if it is all mechanics, if it is all plot, I still think that that's a well-made, like nicely rounded piece. Uh, I don't think that like I was looking for any like much deeper through line or an incredibly like uh, summative theme, so to speak. Um, maybe that just may be an easier mark for what the movie was doing versus what I like maybe wanted to ascribe to it. Um, but I found myself uh, really quite pleased with this movie because of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's interesting, right? Because like I think that I in a, in I'm not even necessarily trying to like pass judgment one way or the other, but like I enjoyed all of the like constituent parts of this movie a lot. Like I definitely agree. Like I think that that following Raymond around and slowly like unpacking his psychology as it's explained to Rex and as we see it develop over the course of the movie is really fun. Especially again, the the coldness with which it follows him. The fact that like uh, I was really taken with the idea that like when I, it only slowly occurred to me why I was watching this person on camera right the first time, like after the first act where um, Saskia finally goes missing in the supermarket, we just very abruptly cut to this dude with his family, and mm -hmm. it's sort of like, wait, what's happening? Like, am I watching a different movie? And then it slowly sort of like picks up the pieces, and there's this really, really effective use of nonlinear editing where they cut backward and forward in time to show um, 
how Raymond, Rex is dealing with it, how Raymond like put it all together. So scenes from one to the next in this movie will jump years forward and backward in time without a whole lot of um, guidance, but it, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense that the sequence in which you're being shown them. Um, I guess ultimately where I landed and, and your mileage may vary with this is that I think Raymond ironically maybe is the less interesting of the two characters. And I think that like the movie spends a lot of time on his psychology that I would have rather have seen maybe spent on Rex's. Cause I think ultimately Rex is the main character here. And it occurs to me that he's sort of taking an opposite approach to Raymond in that Raymond or they're, they're actually trying to accomplish something similar, right? They're trying to say that like, Oh, because like a person like me, a person with my essence, quote unquote, would be predestinate to do one thing by doing the other thing. I can prove that I'm free. I can prove that I I get to choose who I am. Right. And that Rex, I mean, with Ray, that's clear, like predestined not to kill somebody or capture or whatever. With Rex, that being like predestined not to know what not to drink the coffee at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he, he thinks that that his whole thing was going to be, I'm going to be a man who is ever in pursuit of this knowledge, but I can choose to be Mm. something else. That's why he um, restates the um, speech that Raymond made to him about predestination when he drinks the coffee. Um, I thought it was so fascinating, like Rex's obsession with Saskia, the fact that um, he has this sort of like very like, like objective, objectifying relationship with her where he has made her this like symbol in his mind where like he clearly like he has um when he, when he breaks or when his last girlfriend breaks up with him um after Saskia this is clearly not the first time that's happened he's sort of driven women out of his life over and over again by this sort of memory of Saskia that he refuses to give up that he's sort of stubbornly not giving up right like we see three years later he's still putting up missing posters and wanted posters um in the very first scene, um, when he is abandoning Saskia in the tunnel and she's calling after him how badly she needs him and how scared she is without him, he says that he she or he loved her more than ever, right? So there is this sense in which like he thinks that like the best part of himself is this homage to Saskia, this part of him that is keeping her alive. Like that is the truest form of love that he can have. And he sort of achieves the catharsis by dying for her essentially at the end so that he can be with her again so that she can, he can finally understand what happened to her. Um, I think that's the significance of the golden egg itself, right? The golden egg dream. That's the name in the novella, this idea that like, he was isolated. He's choosing not to be isolated. I I found that in this sort of like weird, almost like samurai sense of choosing sort of like um, choosing to be who you want to be, even if it means your death rather than living a compromise. I found that to be a very fascinating character exchange with the two of them. Um, I'm not sure it totally worked for me. Uh, Rex and Raymond's relationship to one another, though, that did make the ending work for me very well. Right. So I guess maybe that's uh, where we differ. I just um, I just wonder how much of the mechanics actually add up to um, something more than the sum of its parts or if it was just mostly um, a thriller with with an interesting ending. Right. And I I don't think I disagree with you necessarily, Jason. I think even if that's all it is, it works. I, I'm just sort of um, I don't know. I, I, I guess like they yeah. there are so many interesting questions brought up. Right. Like. Like um, that, I I guess I wish that it would have delved into some of them more than it finally did. Sure, I I think it still works as a pretty well rounded like character study of these two people rather than just rather than just a straight up thriller. Um, I did find my expectations changing as the movie was going on, and in a slow like interesting way that, like you said, it still has tension, still has an intensity that pulls, even though you know where things end up from maybe minute 12 or 15. Um, I do, I do want to mention uh, you were talking about Linicky and how uh, he gets up, gets in with this girl and you get the feeling that it's, you know, happened before uh, and how he simply yeah, can't let her go. There's that wild scene where yeah. like Saskia's name replaces all of these women's names on his like computer screen. It's, it's, it's a little on the nose, but it is like, I, I guess it's those moments uh, like, one of the, like one of the char- deepest character moments. And I, I think Rex is, I have an inverse feeling of you where I feel like Ray was the more interesting one. Rex is particularly like 
made to feel one uh, dimensional because he's like, he's a guy in pursuit of his girlfriend. And I think they beat that really hard and that he needs very little screen time to drive that home. And when they do show it, give it screen time, when when they do, do give his obsession screen time, it is like, I think I used the phrase earlier, like he's obsessed with his obsession. Like he's rather than really doggedly finding the, like pursuing this, this woman for, for like justice or a moral sense of like, uh, uh, because of the promise whatever, he made, right, right? righteousness because right, he promised exactly. not to abandon her and this is sort of how he does it precisely he's more in love with the symbology of getting to his girlfriend but not actually like I, i'm not going to say he's not it's making about him to right precisely I think, and it, I, think I think that's why his uh his ending where he's shouting his own name in the coffin yes it's like oh i i have finally sort of like cathartically reconciled with this mm-hmm. version of myself. I get to be Rex. I get to yeah. be this guy who never gave up on his girlfriend. Now I'm going to exactly. suffocate to death. But, exactly. You know, and uh, like there are two things that I think like are, are two really interesting edges of that character. One is that when Lineke, uh, she says Lineke's law, number one, when she's breaking up with him, she says, um, Every time you break up with somebody, it should take you half as long to get over it as you spent with that person. So this will only take me four months. She says it like that's actually really good, really good, really good, good, really good law. But she says she says it with like is that possible? Is that true for you people? (laughs) I mean, Aaron, you can't answer this. You've literally never. Yeah, so no, fuck you. No. But like, uh, is that a well-adjusted person thing? Is that how long it would take? Probably not. I get the feeling I she's think saying if you're in a four-year for, relationship, two years, and or yeah, I think that to be completely sounds about over right it, to, to be I don't like know, comfortable like, with it. Maybe, maybe a year-long but, relationship, six months, and then you're back in the game. That's fine. Yeah, you yeah, start you start yeah. whoring around, you know, forty-five days afterward, and then eventually. Uh, well, but I no, mean, there's I, a difference between being back in the game, and, it up. Yeah, and you're right, being over. But like, yeah, now I'm thinking. There's, yeah. Anyway, I think I think she says that uh, more for him than for her because she's trying to encourage him. Even though you've lost me and probably women before me, uh, you, like you have abandoned them in in effect. Like there's still time for you to turn the ship around, right, buddy? Yeah. Uh, as and, and, as and, Kelly and, said when we were watching this together, he really fumbled a bad bitch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Because I know we called. Uh, I think it was the aviator's wife was the first time we said you're the fumbled bag. He fumbles at least two bad bitches in this movie. And I cannot believe he does that. But I think she says that she's got thing, great hair too. She looks great. Lineke uh, S tier girlfriend in, in a movie anyway, but she brings, she, uh, she drives this- around with him while he puts up wanted posts. Like <laughs> I know like, missing hey, posts yeah. for his clearly dead. I mean, that's, she's cra- been I mean, with that's him crazy eight months. But anyway, she says I that I think less for uh, herself and more for him. Because again, like she wants to remind him, listen, there's life ahead. You'll be able to get past this. And he says, and she says, I'll, you know, I'll get, I'll get over this in four months. And he looks her dead in the eye and says, that's a pity. And that's when, you know, everything's like, that's gone. Like he has no intent of actually moving past her or of moving past Saskia. He says he blames Saskia for like the really, for the reason why he isn't able to form meaningful connections with women anymore. That's the juice for me. That's that's so fucking good. It's like this guy, he like is, this is the ideal scenario for him. Like he Mm -hmm. is more happy with Saskia being a vanished element of his life to pursue than he ever would have been with Saskia, the person. (laughs) Precisely. Like we see a lot of examples. This is not the other thing. Oh, I I don't know about that. I think that's a misread. He is a tortured fellow. What are you guys talking about? That's his point. No, he loves it. But by what? Like, uh, I don't think it's ooh. from the disappearance of his girl. I think I it's know. from like the inability to keep chasing this spiraling rabbit. Like, here's the thing. My other example of like Linicky, what she says to him and what he says to her back is like, I think a really important moment, small though it is. And then later on when he's captured underground in the coffin and he starts screaming his name, I finished this movie and I was like, um, okay, he, you know, sort of very simple. He fucked around. He found out kind of thing. Uh, but truthfully from inside Rex's brain and sky was only present for about half of this, but she brought up like the fact that she, he can't know for sure that that's exactly what happened to her. Right. He could have been led to the very, like he could have been led to the finish line and then completely duped by Raymond. He could still be like, like she could still be alive for all he knows. And that I think is why he's in that like sort of, uh, problematic term, but he's in a, he's in hysterics at the end, screaming his own name, trying to get out of, and you know, lighting a lighting his lighter, trying to figure his way out because he's realized he is still in this spiral of not knowing of, of the pursuit of like the 
gone of the um uh, like he's he's not ever going to be able to close the loop on this thing and i think that brings him a certain amount of hysterical joy like like that is part of why he's so obsessed there's a certain and it's hard to like pin it down to the character but just through those signals through those like subtle moments that's what i got from the character is he's in per- like he's obsessed with the obsession rather than he's obsessed with finding his girlfriend at a certain point people do move past these things it doesn't need to be three years it doesn't need to be six months whatever but at a certain point they do and you get the feeling that rex is never going to because he's made a decision like we keep saying about raymond's uh aphorism about you know taking the jump like he's made the decision to simply be obsessed with the obsession and keep in this spiral of of not knowing um and every corner turn neat like he could have let things go at the rest stop before he drank the coffee and he chose not to. And it's not that that's necessarily hubris. He was always going to drink that coffee, but if he hadn't, that would have been a betrayal of himself, not of like the justice for Saskia kind of thing. He it would have been a betrayal of the person that he like Harry was wants saying, to be felt that he was. Yeah, precisely yeah, that, he, that he desperately wanted to be right. Like, I think yeah. I, I agree with almost everything you say, except for I think in the end, in the coffin, I didn't necessarily interpret his like still being trapped in the uh, I interpreted his weird joy and, and hysteria as a sort of like ultimate catharsis. Right. It's hmm. just sort of like it, like he finally gets to be like Rex he gets to he gets to self actualize on his terms on the terms he's always wanted he gets to be punished for losing Saskia he gets to live out the fantasy of having devoted his entire life to this pursuit of Saskia this pursuit of an ideal right of a love that's lost that he'll never mm. get back that he was never good enough for but he gets to sacrifice himself on it for it right i think that like there, there is this great, it, it is, it's, it's a very sort of like existence precedes essence, but that means you can choose your essence if you, if you so choose, right? That's kind of what he wants to be. Um, and that's also what, what Raymond wanted, right? Like Raymond is like, well, I want to be a hero. So I have to do something bad to prove that I could do something bad and then I won't do something bad again. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Un- mm-hmm. Unclear exactly how doing this again to his <laughs> buddy, uh, Rex does this, but, I think that's that's the and I'm I guess I'm coming around a little bit but I think that's the relationship that I like so much in this movie that I think it is so worth um sort of like devoting this time to is that I I said sort of in in passing to Kelly while we watch we're watching that this is like the it's just Hannibal again <laughs> but it like it kind of is <laughs> right where it's like it's like Rex and Raymond have this like kind of homoerotic like adjacent relationship and it's because they there both- is nothing erotic about the relationship man what are you talking <laughs> look we need to look look respect to the respect to the the people reading homoeroticism into thrillers and horror movies and whatnot Aaron said but respect we need to, the gays look, real quick I, I need to cut that there is nothing erotic in this fucking film about that relationship i need the the, the relationship is the most cold uh fucking ah, they're, cold. They're, they're, they're buddies they're, there's They're nothing wrong. buddies. Look, I hate to I hate to be that guy because everybody comes in about certain films that are like it's not it's not homoerotic. It's just it, yeah, I hate to be that guy. Sound but like, like Nick this film is the right one now. It's the one that's breaking me. Okay, look, the thing you do whatever you want. All right, but like this film, there's like I just don't. I guess I just don't see it. You they, you read they both need something from each other into so badly. This relationship. They need something from each other so badly. Look, yeah. there's there's ways to need something from somebody that's not homoerotic, man. I don't know what to tell you. I hate to be the party poop. I yeah, but I don't. I mean, I, don't I think you're it. wrong, but that's yeah, that's fine. I uh, I, I yeah, I, I I think that like they're they're. I guess I'll I'll butt in with my my kind of take here. I I am say that I I would say that I'm like uh, kind of I think biased in maybe my my read of the film and that I am a. I kind of hate talking about this stuff on a podcast, but I, I am someone who I'm not religious. Uh, I'm not spiritual. I do not believe in, in anything uh, pretty much. Um, and so, you know, I, I, my read of the, this film, at least kind of the, the character of Rex and the ending of this film is like a very, very like darkly humorous, like nihilistic uh, uh, kind of take on the inevitability of death and kind of the, uh, complete lack of anything after that death and like the kind of last minute struggle that people have uh, in the face of that uh, uh, kind of certainty. Um, I think that like the Harry mentioned, like a, a, I think a comparison to like Camus earlier and like the stranger and like, maybe you could read some kind of 
myth of Sisyphus sort of stuff into the character of Raymond. And I think that the character of Raymond, I think that is true. Uh, and I think that like, for me, I love Camus, but I think that like, that's why I don't find his character as interesting as Rex. And that I think there are a lot of films that kind of make that. Um, yeah, that's where I was going with this too. What's the term? Camusian uh, point, I guess, philosophically about life and about the struggle against death. I think that like the, the man who wasn't there is a film that, that does yeah. that from the Coen brothers. I think it does that very well. Um, I think that the, the maybe slightly overrated on the internet, uh, but still very good. Um, Liam Neeson film, uh, the gray is quite good. Uh, about a man kind of looking death in the face and kind of choosing how to react about that. Living I think there are a lot of day. films that do that and are quite interesting. I think that there are almost no films that I can think of. It Certainly no uh, American films. I know this isn't one, but like the American films in general kind of shy away from this, maybe due to the uh, slightly more kind of, uh, you know, Christian nature uh, of, of the, the country, not, you know, in a good way, but, um, but there are maybe some, some kind of foreign films that tackle this subject. Um, but I think that like this film is like a deeply nihilistic, like pitch black, like funny at times, uh, kind of take on the absurdity of death, uh, in a way that like, I find quite refreshing. Um, and so I had, I had mentioned this kind of in a group chat, but I had had this movie spoiled on the internet. Um, I think on like a Reddit thread, like years ago where people were like, what's the most disturbing film you've ever seen, right? And this is like, it's not the most disturbing film ever made, right? But there is something to be said for the, uh, uh, I mean, completely nihilistic uh, ending of this film that feels, I think, unfair, right? Um, in which a character, like, is kind of lashing out at uh, a loved one that he kind of knows in his heart is, like, clearly dead, right? And probably mm -hmm. died quite horribly. Um, kind of coming face to face with a person who did it and, and having, um, you know, that knowledge of what happened to his loved one kind of gated behind uh, uh, this kind of offer of him having to undergo the same thing. Right. I think like the kind of humorous, if you want to read it that way, maybe humorous in like a European, like Kafka esque fashion, uh, uh, bit to the ending here, humorous in an unhumorous humorous, way, <laughs> humorous in a way that like, um, I mean, I think we mentioned this in like the episode for like the, the trial, but like uh, uh, the way humorous in the way that Kafka used humor as like a literary device and not like a ha ha kind of moment in the story. Yeah. Humor yeah. as like uh, the thing that is created when when opposing bits of information kind of create tension and, I mean, and, it's, and it's absurdism. Created a, absurdism mm -hmm, is, mm -hmm. I think, part of it, but kind of humor as like a even kind of greater than that uh, kind of thing. Um, I think like the, the thing at the end of this movie is like he, he chooses to, to, you know, undergo this experience. He ends up in the coffin. He starts yelling out for Duh. who he is and his loved yeah. ones. I think like the joke there is like, we all end up in the coffin in our yeah. final moments. Well, yelling also out like, for what did you think was going to happen? Right. It's like yelling out who we are. It's like, oh, you'll get to experience this transcendental, like you'll get to know exactly what she experienced and it will be this great answer. It'll be this great catharsis for yes. you. I mean, it's, you know, I, I actually really like where you went with that. I agree, right? Because it's like the entire anti-mystery of this movie is a metaphor for the anti-mystery of life and death, right? It's like there is yeah. no great mystery to life. We know what life is. We know how life is going to end. We know what happens after life is over, right? I think that like the yeah. movie's the movie's point is like, isn't it funny? Isn't it absurd that like this guy, kind of like all of us, like we we go through life like creating these elaborate mysteries to to pursue and uh follow around because there has to be something else, right? There has to be an answer. There has to be some great reason why, why we're living this way, why we're as obsessed as we are. And then like what we, what we learn is like, oh, a completely mundane sociopath killed this woman for no really good reason. And now he killed you for no really good reason there. And you knew, right? Just like the audience knew yeah, the whole time. The movie's sort of like laughing at you for like wanting to know the answer the way that Rex did, right? Like right. Rex is really your POV character because it's like, look, yeah. like we told you from the very start, like like Raymond was experimenting with chloroform. He had like built this murder estate where he was going to go take somebody. Like Mr. Police, we gave you all the clues. And so it's sort of like, but you just needed it to be something, right? And it, it, I think you're right, Aaron. It's It's very sort of 
Camus-esque uh, in the sense that it's sort of like, but like we, well, we, we strain and we sort of like we're frustrated by the fact that the, the answer is as straightforward as it is and as um, anticlimactic as it is. It's Camus-esque with a twist, right? Where it's like it's Camus-esque and that it's like Rex as a character uh, is kind of a cautionary tale about yeah. living your life obsessed with death instead of embracing, hey, you have yeah, this other girlfriend, exactly. you have this other life you can be living. But the twist is like, you will still end up there. You You will still end up at the very end shouting out your name thinking about maybe there's the possibility I will meet my loved ones. You won't. Right. Uh, right. You know, I'm not saying that's believe whatever you want. Right. But I think like maybe my read of the film is too dark, but my read of the film is like, you can accept that coffee now, or you can kind of accept it as, as something later in life, but like you will be drinking that coffee eventually. Um, and that is like the very dark, I think slightly humorous, but, but yeah, very dark uh, uh, kind of take that like, I, I just kind of don't see in movies. Um, I think Lars von Trier supposedly makes a lot of films that are kind of like that. I haven't seen his stuff. Maybe I should. Uh, maybe there's a lot of like weird German sickos that I should be watching more of their films. Um, but yeah, I, I find it kind of refreshing in a weird way. Well, uh, especially but I do understand why people movie, think right? it's so disturbing. Because yeah. like I, I think that like, and this is your mileage may vary. I, I've always like I love horror movies that are like, and I know this makes me sound like a fucking like token up dorm college freshman, but like the the real scary shit is right. And I, like I kind of like um, rather than sort of like I know a lot of contemporary horror like does trauma and stuff. That's cool, but like I've always really liked horror movies that are like oh like the really scary thing is to like to have to confront the fact that like there is absolutely no life after death. And, <laughs> and, and the fact that those lessons are like not in, in the typical kind of way that a, a horror movie works, those kind of lessons are not tied into karma or morality or choices right. that you made that sometimes and, and eventually for everybody, these things just happen no matter what your choices were. Right, like right. sometimes you are Saskia and you're just happy and you're going to buy a Coke and shit yeah. happens. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And like, that is like even darker than the, I answered a question, a quiz question on the phone wrong. And so I get killed by Ghostface, right? Like there is that, that like complete detachment from any sort of action reaction is like even more disturbing uh, from a horror perspective than like right, right. this being like this, the end result of decisions. This this movie maybe ties, I think, that motive, like not necessarily failing, you know, as direct a line as like failing a quiz on a uh, on the phone and being killed by a serial spree killer. But um, it is tied to the like, in a way, actualization of another person, which is completely unrelated to anything that Saskia or, um, uh, or Rex were doing with their lives, right? Like it, it's, it wasn't, cosmically just random per se it was like motivated by somebody else's by ray's like innate desire to take another jump to become a full-on you know right. murderer to satisfy that certain sociopathic edge that he's identified in himself um but it's not like a karmic comeback right yeah like it is it is the result of decisions but it's not your decisions right not it's not something you have decisions. control over yeah precisely um, i think that there, there's also like i think a pretty interesting thing that's maybe a little understated i don't know how much this is in the original novella uh which i didn't have the time to read sorry folks um but i i think that there is something interesting about this being like a 1988 film uh and being concerned with like a kind of a new media environment. I think that like the scenes of Rex, like on television, like, you know, attempting to speak to, um, you know, the, whoever the kidnapper might be. Right. And I think that there is a, some pretty interesting stuff here about the nature of media at that time, specifically media, media being kind of like a one way street, right? Like That's something interesting. Yeah. being broadcasted out to kind of an overall general audience and trying to, pare that down to a one-to-one -one communication and like the, the frustrating nature of that. Right. Um, yeah. I think well, that in, sorry, it's fascinating. Ahead. No, no. Yeah. I mean, and especially in tandem with the motifs of sort of like extreme isolation, right. There's this idea that like when Rex goes on, on TV, he's desperate. He's like reaching out for somebody to validate his story, to tell him what he's doing is is real. It's meaningful. He's trying to find this person who has been sending the, him these sort of postcards from 
the void that he just can't figure out. And it is sort of like um, there, there is this, this desperate need to sort of like in, in the, the absurdity that is existence to like reach out for validation. Um, and I think that like in, in the nihilist um, essence of this movie, right. It's like at best, it's sort of like nothing is ever going to come back. And at worst, it's like, be careful what you wish for. Right. It's like, be careful what you reach out to, because it turns out that like, the end point of Rex's quest for cathartic sort of recognition and communication was just to be made into yet another trophy for this serial killer to self-actualize with. And so there, there is this sort of sense in which it's like, it's never going to happen on your terms and you're never going to get the, um, the sort of like uh, recognition or catharsis that you're seeking. Um, and I, I, I do really like the way that intersects with this idea of sort of like the, um, fragmentation of narratives because of mass media. Me too. Uh, any further comment on that before we get to the junk drawer and the final segment of today? That was episode? already kind of a junk drawer thought. Maybe I, we should have, hmm, you know what I mean? You got to hmm. warn me. You got to warn it was me. Ju- it was junk drawer-esque. You know what? Maybe I'll, the perfect segue. I'll patch, the, I'll patch that in. That. Uh, so the next time we play it, uh, will be the close. I will have already Oh, so this it. is the junk drawer. I, We're now, hey, you, we find ourselves in the midst without of the junk you about drawer. It. Um, yeah, I'll say, I'll say from a junk drawer standpoint, uh, I kind of talked about it. It's maybe a little uh, kind of trite to bring up at this point, but I think that there is a, a very good Kafka uh, short story that I think kind of informs my thoughts on this film called The Little Fable, which at this point is more well known for being referenced by David Foster Wallace in uh, an essay that he wrote about Kafka called Laughing with Kafka that I think is also, uh, uh, again, kind of... Um, you know, stereotype to bring up at this point, but uh, it's quite a good essay about uh, Kafka's use of humor as a literary device instead of uh, something to kind of make. And that's laugh. meaningful coming from Aaron because he often disagrees with David Foster Wallace's essays. Uh, I like David Foster Wallace's essay. I think what, we've what just talked about uh, David Lynch. You don't like his thoughts on David Lynch. I think is what I'm referring to. Uh, he he liked David. He didn't like. Uh, supposedly, he didn't like Lost Highway. When he saw it, and I think Lost Highway is kind of a masterpiece. But I think that's if great. David Lynch, I think I think if David Foster Wallace, I think he died. Like I think he saw Lost Highway. He didn't see Mulholland Drive. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he died. I think he died that a year a before or something. Yeah, that's bummer. He would have like R.I.P. Mr. Wallace. He would have liked. Uh, he would have liked Mulholland Drive probably. I probably. think he said he was disappointed in uh, in Lost Highway. But I, you know, it takes a few watches for Lost Highway to really. You like Blue Velvet a lot, so you know. Anyway, uh, go go read. It's like a paragraph long, but uh, a little fable by Kafka. I think is a very good uh, little thing um, that I think is is somewhat uh, illuminating for this film, or at least my reading of it, which may be overly pessimistic. But I don't think yeah. so. I think it's about right. Um, I think this film is pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a pessimistic movie. It's fucking European. What are you going to do? If, you, if you're um, religious, you're free to read. <laughs> you're free to read the end of the film as Rex and Saskia being united forever. If that's how you think that's the, what the film's saying at the end, go ahead. <laughs> I, they got to experience the same thing, man. They got to yeah, they're, they're feel the same. Collided in heaven. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what the end of the film is um, saying. Yeah, I uh, I think the it's it's almost like. I feel like I like this movie way more than maybe I would otherwise, just because like there's something about the 1980s-ness of the shooting and maybe just Europe, but like the washed out colors, the cinematography, the fact that it looks like I can't believe Robert Mueller didn't shoot this. Right. He, he didn't. I checked. Right. But like, it seems like it like again, to go back to Vim vendors, right? Like that um, gas station is like such a compelling, like central point um, in, in spite of being like, pointedly mundane and and pointedly sort of like uninteresting it it becomes such a um great period piece for like this part of europe at this time um and like i i really loved all of the shots of that and i think that really elevates the the story right i i especially like this movie's use of light i hate to be this guy right the sort of like midsummer head or whatever but like the fact that like this is an ostensibly horror sort of like like um pessimistic movie and like so much of it it takes place in like these this blinding sunlight almost it it just sort of like really and it really strongly contrasts with um the final sequence where uh it's for the most part a black screen right and he's he's trying to light the lighter that saskia gave him over and over again but like large sequences of that he is completely in the dark and it's you know to to 
follow up on Aaron's reading. It's sort of like you are you're in the sun until you're not, right? It's it's sort of like you're above ground and then you're uh, beneath it, and uh, those are the two states. Um, and I I really appreciated that. I think that there's a lot of really good um, uh, color symbolism in this movie. Very European indeed. Uh, I will close up the junk drawer. As we scooch in, uh, in the absence of Cody's noties, the actual ultimate segment of our show today, uh, it's called Give Me a GIF. Uh, Shots you guys think should go out with the episode when it goes out on Twitter. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Aaron, you look particularly uh, distraught and unable to (laughs) pull anything out of your ass. Are there any shots that like did stick with you? It's not a spoiler. Anything that's not a spoiler is a rough one. I mean, obviously the coffin shot is a, you know, banger. Yeah. Um. No, Harry. What do you got, <laughs> Harry? You got anything? I really like the stick ends insect. That's the opening shot of this movie. Uh, that doesn't count. Um, maybe um Saskia disappearing in the tunnel. You sort of see her outline uh, as he's coming into view. That's, that's the one. That's a pretty good Harry, one. Great job. Okay. Yeah. Coming um, through. L- let's see. Uh, any any supercut of of Raymond fucking up uh his. Um, kidnapping would be pretty funny. I thought in particular when he, uh, like you can see him moving around the back of the car, emptying the chloroform out into his, uh, rag and then immediately coughing because he's got like fucking hay fever or something God, and what a fucking slapstick ne- nearly moment. knocking himself out because he, he raises the, the rag up to his, uh, nose <laughs> to, to blow his nose. Uh, really funny stuff. Um, darkly funny. Um, you know, stuff like that. I, I will say uh, we, we didn't bring it up, but there are two uh, blogs on Parisphere, the Trial on Cinema's blog, uh, one of which does talk about kind of the dream imagery, uh, including the shot that Harry mentioned of Saskia kind of standing at the end of the, the tunnel, which I think is kind of like that. The coffin shot are like the, the two big ones uh, in the film. Uh, so golden eggs flying through space, the horrific dream logic at the heart of the vanishing by Sophie Durbin. Uh, and the other one is Gothic Dull and Sharp, George Slizer's The Vanishing uh, by M.H. Rowe. Those are both 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 good articles. Go check out Pierce, Paris Fear. I was it's, I was going to reference good. that after I gave my uh, Friend of gift the pod, Finn Odom, edited. Indeed. Indeed. So there you go. Paris Fear. Yep. Check that out uh, and check out their work at parisphere.org. I'll, you know, I had some gifts too. Um, thank you for leaving me some space, Aaron. Uh, I, I actually found it a little bit richer for like good image. I know I said that like, I appreciate its lack of like really inventive stylization or editor editorialization, but I still in that, I think it found some really fun ways to frame a lot of these shots. Um, I think uh, there's a shot of Saskia in reflection of um, Ray's glasses at one point. I think it's when he maybe first notices her at the gas station. And it's just sort of like a superimposed, I believe, because you could not possibly get that shot, but superimposed on his, on the lens of his glasses is Saskia's face. Uh, there's a shot where you see just ominously they'll throw in Ray into the foreground or background of some shots where he's not supposed to be recognizable to the characters, which is, I think really clever, but also, uh, they use like, they frame him in such a way that it, I think is rather picturesque. There's a scene where he's been called to this cafe and, uh, and he's actually like Ray is actually up on, on a balcony watching them from afar. Uh, and there's a shot from like under the arch of Ray's arm, you know, that it's Ray because of his stocky build and sort of pudgy hands, but it's just shot at the characters down in the cafe. Um, I think that's ominous and quite good. Uh, the shot that Harry brought up earlier where Saskia is being typed into the computer screen at Rex's place and all of the other women's names are just being automatically replaced with it. Kind of like one of those dream logic type things that happens. Cause I don't even know what kind of code you would enter on a computer in 1988 to make it do that. Um, and then there's a shot later on. I think it's just before he actually abducts Saskia where uh, there's a p- picture of Ray's family in the dash of his car. And it's rat- There's a bottle of chloroform rattling around right. Yes, next to I remember it. that one. That's a very good one. I think, I think that's a pretty good shot. Um, again, like I think it sneaks these in under the guise of like, we're doing this like documentary, not literally style, but like we're trying to document rather than uh, convince or, or like, you know, I guess present I didn't even really way. mean a lack of editorialization. It's just very understated. Oh, like, I pointedly I do. understated. Yeah, I do. Like, I think exactly like it's so understated that I hardly, unless I was looking for it for this bit, for this gift thing, 
don't know that I would have like called it out because it is just that naturally woven into the motion of the movie. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like pointedly anti-sensationalistic, right? It's sort of like there are horrifying things happen happening that are presented extremely matter-of-factly. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, part of the magic of this movie, uh, which has been a discussion of The Vanishing, Spurlosh. Uh, I'm going to print I hope I said it the same way uh, at the end as I did at the beginning. Um, you can find the Trilon at trilon.org. You can find the Parasphere pieces that Aaron mentioned earlier in the show notes. You can find a link to the Nightmarish 90s series going on in the Trilon presently in October 2023. Uh, if it's not October 2023, when and where you are, check out the Trilon's website anyway at trilon.org for any sort of cool series and showings they've got going. Um, we will uh, probably record on at least a few of them if we're still alive and making this podcast at that time. Uh, until the day that I die, uh, you can find me on Twitter at NintendoFis. My name is Jason Daphnis. Um, and uh, I'll just give Cody's plug here too. Cody uh, is unable to join us. Fourth guest, excuse me, fourth host, uh, Cody Narverson. You can find him on Blue Sky and Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Isn't he just Cody Narvison on Blue Sky? Oh, is he Cody Narvison? I I, can't, I don't know. I'm not on Blue Sky. <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. I've been a hearing Maggie. You can find me on general social B. I'll I'll figure out what I'm what I'm doing. Blue Sky, Twitter, RB please, you know. Give him a yeah. minute to unify his content strategy. The man has been off Twitter for weeks. I'm hiring a social media guy. We'll we'll yeah. Uh,